0: Indeed, Friends, uh, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. If you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's on either page 863 or 987. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, Since we are now in the Advent season, uh, we are beginning a new series today, uh, an Advent series. And the series is entitled, Why Did Jesus Come? What was the reason that Jesus came to become a man, to live and to die? Uh, today we will be looking at the fact that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That is one of the reasons why he came. We'll be seeing this from 1 John chapter 3. Uh, hear now the word of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning." The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So ends the reading of God's Word, and what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, O God, this is Your Word. And so we ask that You would speak to us today. Would You tear down our idols? Would You wake us from our slumber? Would You encourage our hearts? And would You equip us for action? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It was just a few short weeks ago that a very significant event happened in this country. No doubt you and many others in this country realized that it was a pivotal point in our nation's history. In fact, it was one that uh, the tension had built over many years. And uh, when, the, when the day of reckoning finally came, many, of, many people, maybe some of you, stayed up late to understand what the results would be. And uh, when when the results finally did come, it was cheered by many, it was seen as a relief, but for many it was a disappointment or a disgust. And of course the event that I'm talking about is the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. (laughs) This was something that had built up over 108 years. They had not won the World Series. On November 2nd of this year, they defeated what was called the Curse of the Billy Goat, uh, causing disappointment to Dodgers fans and Indians fans and outright disgust to their rival St. Louis Cardinals fans. Uh, what What I think is fascinating about that story has to do with a man named Theo Epstein. I don't know if you know this name, but Theo Epstein is the president of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. He is the one who was responsible for recruiting and hiring, building that team that won the World Series. And what's what's fascinating to me is this was actually the second time that he did such a thing. Before the Cubs, he was at the uh, Boston Red Sox, where he was hired in 2002 to build a team that at that time had not won the World Series since 1918. They were under a curse of their own, the curse of the Bambino. Uh, And if you remember your baseball history, in 2004, just two years after that, the Red Sox won, beat that curse. And so when the Cubs hired Epstein, there was hope and excitement that perhaps he would bring that same level of success to Chicago. And you could say that Epstein was brought to Chicago to defeat the curse of the Billy Goat. And on November 2nd of this year, the curse was broken. Now friends, the the Red Sox and the Cubs, they were under this made-up baseball curse. But we are under a real curse. The curse that came as a result of the fall. It affects everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do. It affects all of our experience. And our passage today talks about how Jesus came to defeat that curse. And more specifically, He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now he did that by making it possible for us to be adopted as God's children. By working faith and repentance in us to putting to death those works that were in our lives. And working righteousness in us so that God could work and do this this work of destroying the devil's work in and through us. And so what we we need to see is that because Christ has came, because he came to destroy the works of the devil... We must live in the righteousness and truth of Christ. Now, you may remember for the past few weeks, Pastor McGee was preaching on spiritual warfare. He talked about, uh, we talked about how um, each individual believer can expect to be under attack and experience his spiritual warfare. And about how the church as a whole can experience spiritual warfare. We, we should expect it. Uh, But what we also talked about is that our God is greater than the enemy that we face. That our God is a shield and a defender um, for us in the midst of this warfare. But when we look at our passage today, we see that this warfare uh, does not involve simply a passive defense. Our God is not simply sitting back and protecting us from the attacks of the evil one. But he is actually uh, causing, he caused an offensive act of warfare to defeat the devil by sending Christ to destroy the works of the devil. And this was one of Christ's purposes from the very beginning. Uh, If you remember back in Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, we were created perfectly. All creation was good and and perfect. But then in Genesis 3, the serpent shows up. The serpent who is, we know, to be uh, the devil. And he tempts uh, Eve and Adam to take from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sin against God. And in that moment, all mankind, all creation is put under a curse. And so it begins at the very beginning where we see Satan at work. But immediately when that happens, even in the words of the curse, the words of our Gospel passage came where God said to the serpent, He said, the woman will have a seed, the woman will have a child, and he, you, you serpent, will strike at his heel, but he will, will smash your head, he will crush your head. So from the very beginning, God had promised that the serpent would be destroyed. Now what's interesting is from that point in Genesis 3, all through the rest of the Old Testament, we almost never see satan show up on the scene we never never hear about the devil there's only two key cases one is in the book of job where satan goes before the lord and accuses job of wrongdoing and the second case is in the book of zechariah where there is the high priest joshua standing before the angel of the lord and satan is standing at his side accusing him of wrongdoing so we don't see uh we don't see satan at all in the old testament which is curious but what we do see All throughout the Old Testament, there are two stories, two two families, two paths. There's those who are the people of God, and there are those who are the enemies of God, who are at war with one another. And it's not until we come to the New Testament that Jesus clearly identifies for us the work of the devil. He defines the, the devil as the tempter. Uh, the one who tempted Eve and Adam in the garden uh, now tempts Jesus in the wilderness. But he's also the murderer. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning. That is part of his nature. So he's the tempter. He's the murderer. But he's also the liar. He is the father of lies. Also in that same uh, John 8, 44, he says... Uh, He has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he uh, he is the tempter, he is the murderer, he is the liar. But Jesus also associates the actions of people with the devil himself. Uh, just a few passage, verses before that, in John eight forty two, Jesus says to the Jews. He's talking. He says they they had said, "Well, God is our Father." And he says, "Well, if God was your Father, well then you would love me, for I came from God and I am here." And he said, "But but you are you are of your Father the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires." He says. Your, your actions, your belief, everything that you do reflects a family heritage. And, and that's what our passage in uh, 1 John 3.8 says. He says, um, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He personalizes it. He takes it from the Jews and he says, whoever, if, if, y'all, make, if y'all, y'all are sinning, it is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It's not just those wicked people. It's, it's you. It's me. It reflects a family heritage. And that ought to scare you. But the good news is that Jesus came for this very purpose. And He is the perfect victor for this. The devil was the sinner. And the liar. And the murderer. But Jesus was the way and the truth, and the life. Jesus was the one who from the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and He spoke truth, true truth. And He revealed true truth. And while the devil brought death and he is the murderer, everyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. He is the bringer of eternal life. He is the perfect conqueror for this enemy. So let me ask you, do you know this Christ? Do you know this One who came to defeat the works of the devil? He came to defeat those works. And those works will be destroyed. But if you do not know this Christ, then one day you too will be swept up in that destruction. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you do it willingly? Or will you do it by force? And if you do, will do it but willingly, are you doing it now? So Jesus would come to defeat, to destroy the works of the devil. The question is, well, how, how, is, he, how is he going to do that? How, how did he do that? Has he done it? Is it done now? Um, and I think from our passage, we can see two key ways in which he came to destroy the works of the devil. He did it through love and through truth. Now as we've been talking, there's, there's been two families. The child, children of the devil and the children of God. And Ephesians chapter 2 makes the statement that all of us were at one point children of the devil. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were all children of wrath, all deserving of God's wrath. And yet, look at what our passage says in 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Look at, look at what he says. John kind of exclaims, he says, Do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The God who spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light, speaks to us and says, and declares to us, you are children of God, and so we truly are. We who had exchanged the truth of God for a lie, who had followed our passions, and desired to be like our father, the devil, now have been declared children of God. And this is only only because of Christ. This is only because Christ came. We were objects of wrath, deserving that wrath. And yet Christ came and took that punishment that we deserve. God's wrath was poured out on Him instead of us. But we also needed righteousness. Righteousness. We needed perfect righteousness. And so Christ lived a perfect life of righteousness. And so that righteousness is counted to our account. And when, because of His perfect obedience, Christ asked the Father and the Father sent to us His Spirit, the Spirit of the one and only Son of God, that Spirit of Sonship to dwell in us, to make us righteous, to make us pure and holy, so that we could cry out, Abba, Father, so that we could be sons of God. It's that same Spirit that is also the Spirit of truth that opened our eyes to see the truth of what's going on here. The truth that we are children of the devil that need God's grace, that need to be adopted in order for that salvation. That we are sinners in need of God's mercy. But also the truth of who Christ really is. Not a phony, but the true truth savior of all mankind. The one whom came to live and die for us and the only savior for sinners. And that same spirit works faith and repentance in us and allows us to be adopted as his children. So God conquers us. He conquers us by his lavish love and by his truth. And he makes us his child and in so doing he begins the work of destroying the works of of the devil and you could say that this was not just his love and his truth but also a perfect outpouring of his righteous anger this is god's world that he created it to be perfect and good he created us in his image to be in fellowship with him to worship him as he justly deserves and because of the fall all of that's broken All of that's broken. We live under a curse. We harm ourselves by our own sin. We live in sin and misery. We are not worshipers of the one true and living God, but we follow our own idols. And this matters to God. And He does something about it. He pursues us in love. He has perfect patience and perfect love as He pursues us. And so He puts Christ on the cross and He pours out His righteous indignation and wrath on Him so that He can show us His mercy and His grace and He can reclaim us as His very children. And so because of God's anger and hatred of sin, because of Christ's sacrifice and of His actions, when God says, I am intending to destroy the works of the devil. He will do it. It is a surety. He conquers us with his love. And it will change us. And I think there's a a perfect example of this when we look at the person of the Apostle Paul. If the devil is a sinner and a murderer and a liar, the Apostle Paul reflected all those things before he knew Christ, he, though he was a religious leader, he uh, breathed out murderous threats against the people of God. He, he bought into the lie that Christ was not truly God, that he was a phony, that he was causing people to, to be led astray. And later, Paul declared that he was the chief of sinners, the chief of sinners. And if you think about that for a second, if the the devil has been sinning from the beginning, if the devil is the one who is the tempter, Paul was identifying himself with Satan himself as one who, who has this heritage. And yet what happened to the Apostle Paul? Do you remember what happened? He was on the road to Damascus, and the light of the world appeared to him and blinded him Showing him how spiritually blind Paul was, how he had been following a lie, how he did not know who this God was, and and he and God overwhelmed him by His grace and His mercy to him. And do you remember what happened? He said something like scales fell from his eyes, where he could see, and now he could see the truth. He was now overwhelmed by the truth that this one who was breathing out murderous. Lies, and murderous threats, now becomes the proclaiming vessel of the gospel of eternal life, abundant and free. This, this, this change is, is real, my friends, and this is what happens when God grabs a hold of you. So have you seen this kind of change in your life? Has there been a transformation from death to life? Or are you, are, you, are you numb? Are you numb to God's overtures of love and grace? It will change you if you truly see it. Change is inevitable. When we look back at our passage at verse 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born, on, born of God. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It's There's something that's transformed, that's that's changed systemically within you. You cannot keep sinning. And he says this again uh, in verse 6. He says, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. So if you are living in a pattern of sin where this is your heart's orientation... You have to ask yourself, have you truly grasped the goodness and grace of your gracious God? Have you truly seen Christ for who he is? It's a a profound sight or experience that changes you. And and we have some of these in our everyday life. I mean, think of this you know, some of you will understand this, some of you won't. But think about the birth of a child. Okay? Now, we can, I, can, I can tell you, it, it, let's say we had a new, uh, an expecting couple that had never had a child here before, and we said to them, well, this is going to change your life. And they'd say, oh, yeah, I know, I've heard that. No, it's really going to change your life. Or they can, you can read all sorts of books, you know, what to expect, when you're expecting, and you, and, and, and you can kind of try to read ahead and try to understand it. Or you can watch TV shows to try to visualize what's, what's going to happen. You can try to prepare yourself but when you get into that hospital room and you feel those, that anxiety and those nerves and when you see this newborn child and it's placed in your arms and you look down at it and you think about the gravity of this sight, this new soul that you now have care over, that, that you will love and be united to for the rest of your life. It changes you. And it changes your identity because now and forevermore you are a parent. And that will, never, that will never stop. And something like that, but even more so, is what happens when we come to know Christ. It's, it's, it's not just a mental understanding. It starts with a mental understanding, but it's, it's transformative in all that we, we're doing. It begins in that knowledge, but we're actually transferred from a kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom of light. We are actually made children of God, and our eyes actually start to see things differently. We, our eye, the eyes of our heart are enlightened to know the hope that we have. And the chains of our, the slavery to sin are, are broken. We are able at that point to do works of righteousness and not sin. And I think this is a little bit of what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus This is the passage where Jesus said, for God so loved the world, and so on and so forth. But Jesus had been talking to Nicodemus, and he told them, he was recounting this story from Numbers chapter 21, where they were wandering in the wilderness, and they started grumbling against the Lord, and, um, and the Lord sent these serpents, and the serpents started biting people, and they started dying. And because of their affliction, they cried out to God, and and, and God heard them, and he showed mercy to them, and so God says to Moses, okay, this is what you need to do. Go make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, hold it up, and everybody who looks at the serpent will live. And Jesus tells that story, and he, and he basically says, I'm going to be held up. That whoever's been bit by that ancient serpent who looks on me will have eternal life looking at our savior and beholding him and his glory and realizing all that he's done that all that that work that he's done all of those promises that he made are truly for you and not just some theoretical exercise that changes you and you'll never be the same you cannot keep sinning once that's happened so have you grasped the grace of god for you have you beheld His glory? Now, uh, it's what's, when I look at this passage, some of these, I don't know if you had the same reaction, but some of these things that John says are a bit troubling to me because he seems so, so absolute. Uh, where he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And, and no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. <clears throat> Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Righteous and whoever makes the practice of sinning is of the devil. And that's troubling to me because I know that I am a sinner. And my wife can attest to this, and my kids, and my coworkers, and pretty much anybody who's been with me for 5 minutes. And I'm sure you do too. I'm sure you know that you're a sinner as well. So, I ask myself, so does that mean that I have not understood the grace of God? Does that mean that he, he you know, I don't abide in Christ? You know, what 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 does that mean For me. And that was troubling to me until I backed up just a couple passages to verse 2. And take a look at this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. So what's He saying? I say three things. First, he says, we are God's children now. If you are in Christ, if you have put your hope in Christ, then you have been adopted as God's child. You are God's child now. And he, His Spirit of Sonship is dwelling in you now. Done deal. But point number two, and what, what we have will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. The second thing is, while we are God's children now, we are not done yet. He has not appeared finally yet. We have seen Him, but as Paul says, it's like in a mirror, dimly, dimly reflecting. We, we, can't, we get the picture, and it's enough to overwhelm us by His love, but it, we're not completely there. And until we reach glory, we will have that indwelling sin within us. So don't, please don't hear that in this passage. We will struggle with sin. Paul makes that clear elsewhere. That we continue to struggle with sin. That's part of that, uh, that work of sanctification. But the power of sin has been broken. We can actually put it to death. And that's what we are commanded to do. That we are commanded to put to death. It's a, this militant act this warfare that we wage on the sin in our lives and we can put on deeds of righteousness but this practice of sinning this heart orientation to sin and just say this is the way that I am deal with it that is dead we've been set free so those are the those two and then third is in verse 3 everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure because this is our hope because this is our end, that we will be like Christ, he says. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that we will be like Him. Because that is our goal, and because that power has been broken, because we have that hope, we now purify ourselves. It is Christ, it is the Holy Spirit that is working in us. But now that we have the freedom, we have been set free from this sin, we now purify ourselves. We are active in this action. So, this is all because of the work of Christ. How he is actively destroying the work of the devil in us. He is working righteousness in us. And, and he's given us the active pursuit uh, of truth in the Gospel. But we could probably go one step further. Not only is he working uh, to put to death the works of the devil in us, but he's also doing that through us. Um, look at where he's, what he says here in... Somewhere. Uh, okay, I can't find it. Okay. Oh, no, here it is. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. So all along we've been talking about sin and putting to death sin. But it's not just about protecting ourselves and avoiding sin. It's also this positive act of righteous good. Now that we've been set free to do righteousness, we can imitate Christ. By, by performing good, by, by actually carrying out this work, by doing acts of righteousness. Um, so we imitate Christ. We, we love our enemies as God loved us and pursued after us. We bear witness to the truth of the Gospel as Christ perfectly revealed that truth to us. And we reflect His, his anger, His righteous anger. We have Holy anger towards sin. We still live in, in and amongst the, the, a world of sin. We have sin in our own hearts. That should make us angry. We should, it should fuel us to put that to death. We live in the monks of, of other people who sin, and there's sin that is alive and well. We should be doing acts of righteousness, pursuing those who are engaged in these acts. To carry out righteous good, to overcome evil with good, when we do this, we're we're imitating our Savior. Now, uh, we already read in Genesis chapter three how God, from the very beginning, promised that He was going to uh, send Christ to destroy, to crush the head of the serpent, and we see that again in this passage. But the Apostle Paul, at the end of Romans, makes a fairly surprising statement he says he says this in Romans 16 verse 20 he says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet he will soon crush Satan under your feet and I think that's what the apostle John is getting to here is that when he works his grace in us. He is destroying the work of the devil in us, but it's not confined to us. It is one that bursts out and that through us, God is crushing the head of the serpent. He is destroying the works of the devil. This happens in us and through us with the weapons of gospel-oriented love and Christ-centered truth. If you are in Christ, God will wage this war in you and through you. This is why Jesus came. So let me ask you, are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing active good? Or are you worried, so worried about sin that you're just inwardly focused in trying to put that, that sin to death? That's good. But we have to take it a step further to actually do righteousness. As he, Paul said in Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is a privilege that we have as children of God. And finally, look at the promise that we we have when he says we are not yet, what we will be has not yet appeared. That's grace for us, friends. That's grace for us because we know the reality that we still struggle for sin, the struggle with sin. And we know that this is not the end all be all. But the promise is that the not yet is coming. The not yet is coming and there will be a day when Christ appears and we will see Him like He is and we will be like Him and the devil and all of his works will be crushed and defeated forever and ever and it will be glorious. And until that day we wait for hope and purify ourselves in the knowledge and truth of our Savior. But if you don't know Christ, what I've been talking about about this child of God thing, that is for those who have put their hope in in Christ. If you don't know Christ, then there's grace for you even in that not yet. Because there is a day when Christ will return and He will destroy the devil and all of His works. But if you are not in Christ, you too will be swept up in that destruction. Christ was a murderer from the beginning. And if you cling to his lies, then you will surely die and you will face eternal punishment. But know this, friends, Christ came to redeem you from that lie, to redeem you from that death, to give you eternal life, to make you his child. If you trust in him, if you put your hope in this Christ who was crucified for you, then you will feel a, you will experience a joy and love and peace beyond anything this world can provide, because you will be God's child today and forever and ever. You will be His. Many of you will remember that for about 20 years there was an uh, army slogan, "Be all you can be." Um, And it was an effective recruiting slogan, Uh, the the premise behind it, that because of everything that the army had to offer, uh, you know, through the leadership training and physical rigor and whatever, it would get these couch potatoes off and drive their maximum potential to be leaders, effective leaders in this world, uh, and effective uh, people. It was very, very effective. They, They could be all that they could be. Friends, the passage that we have before us, the Apostle John says to us, it's much more simple. Be who you are. You are a child of God. God has planted His seed in you. If you have seen Christ, then no longer provide safe harbor for those sins within your heart. Put them to death and put on deeds of righteousness. One day, we will not just be all that we can be, but we will be like Christ because we will see Him like He is. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Even now, in you and through you, He is destroying the works of the devil. And one day, He will destroy the devil and his works forever and ever. It's why He came. And He will surely do it. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious Lord, thank You for these promises. Thank You for sending Christ to destroy the works of the devil, for breaking the bonds of our sin and for making us your your children. We pray that you would help us to walk in this newness of life and bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.